The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Everybody and welcome back to Cancelled Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I am a film critic for The Rap and Bloody Disgusting, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I am a film critic for IGN and other venues sometimes as well. And Whitney, what is your sexy spy name? Ooh, I gotta have a sexy spy name. Um, you get well, it's gotta be two names. Gotta be two the, names. Got two things that go together, kind of neat. So whiskey, I think, comes from the, the uh, spy code for the letter W. Yep. But and that's my first name, so I can't take whiskey because it's taken. Yeah. Also, we give so, away who you are. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, it would be uh, Foxtrot Zebra. Ooh, forthright rhinoceros. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds more descriptive than an actual code name. <laughs> I can live with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this week, uh, sorry, this month on Cancel Too Soon, we are reviewing only television series that lasted one season or less and got canceled within the last year. These are shows that you probably saw advertised out the yin yang throughout the last year, and yet here they are—they're canceled. Mm-hmm. Life sucks. Well, I mean, well, <laughs> TV is a history of failure. That, that's TV, and we, we even commented that this month alone, uh, we're recording in November of 2019, there were. T- 65 debuts just this month yeah on television and That's, most of those are going to fail um i i do want people to start using the term entertainment bubble because we're living on something's going to burst sooner or later there's just something's, too much out there something is going to come crashing down i don't care how much you dvr to binge later literally nobody has the time yeah um and i think some of these streaming services are going to fail but we're not talking about a streaming service we're talking about a major Network release mm-hmm. this week. This was one big, of the big most budget, big stars. One of the most heavily promoted TV shows on network TV in the last year. Mm-hmm. So much so that they tried to debut this right after the Academy Awards. That's this, right. This show had its series premiere as soon as the Academy Awards ended. Only then, after you were patient, could you see Whiskey Cavalier. Drop your guns, or your friend dies. It's okay, we're not that tight. Not a warning next time. Okay, we're here. We better start treating each other like we're a family. Hard pass. I don't mix the personal with the professional. She is just trying to push your buttons. She's just pushing your buttons. It's not working. You can be cool! You can be shy! You're gonna be posing as a happily married couple. You gotta hold my hand. Not unless you want me to break it. Nice job. Thank you. Some chest bump? That is unacceptable for me. Frank, did you see that? I am going to win you over. Definitely not. This is what happens when you believe in true love. Idiot! She always like this. No, no, she's usually meaner. Whiskey Cavalier. Whiskey Cavalier sounds like the kind of name you would invent for your D&D character. Like... <laughs> 
What, and what's your name? Whiskey Cavalier. It, it's, and, it but, sounds like a tough macho name. It's well. It sounds like a a sword, like a fencer kind of name, well, like a, a, cool like name a Robin Hood kind of name. Um, Whiskey Cavalier is a spy series. Uh, it's a spy series starring Lauren Cohen and Scott Foley. And before we get into the meat and potatoes of the show, you have no idea how much the film community resented Whiskey Cavalier before it came out, because <laughs> all this year when they were talking about how we got to streamline the Academy Awards, make maybe it, make we're it not shorter cut out really important categories like editing and cinematography. Yeah, we're just not going to show editing and cinematography this year. Why? Because they're trying to make the show shorter. And the word that was coming down the pipeline was they were trying to make the show shorter so that to Whiskey make Cavalier, for Whiskey Cavalier, Whiskey Cavalier needed to premiere as early as possible so people on the east coast would see it you know if you're on if you're in la when you watch the academy awards the academy awards begin around 5 5 30 yeah and they're, they're over before nine yeah Usually it's pretty reasonable nine but yeah but on the east coast they start or they start around eight o'clock and if they're over three hours long people just want to go to bed afterwards and so if you premiere something afterwards you're just kind of throwing it down a bin so they hey, wanted hey, here's to... an idea don't premiere a show after the oscar what yeah. are you crazy so in any case, they really, really push hard for Whiskey Cavalier. Whitney and I uh, watch the Academy Awards every year. Whitney, did you stick around to watch Whiskey Cavalier? Uh, hell to the no. I was no. too angry about Green Book. Uh, I was... Oh, you know, just shut that thing off I, in anger. I, I was just like... I was hate reading a piece by Justin Chang from the LA Times about just w- what an outrage it was. Like, yeah, Justin Chang is making all these great points and I'm trying to write all these tweets about what a horrible thing it is. And I'm still was, mad, damn it. I'm still mad because... It's still one of the crappiest decisions they've made in a long time. 2018 was such an excellent year for films about race and racism in America. Uh, most of them were made by filmmakers of color. Yeah. But the one about about the white guy, made by the white guy, mm-hmm. that like, was like the least insightful and the least intelligent of the lot was that the, the one that the, was That the, the family runner. of the non-white guy complained about saying it was bullshit. Yeah. That's the one the Academy... Yeah, still mad. Mm. In any case, uh, might have been a miscalculation. To premiere Whiskey Cavalier after that. Whiskey Cavalier is a spy series, again, starring Scott Foley, Lauren Cohen. They are mismatched spies. Mm. He is a sensitive 90s man spy. And Lauren Cohen is a really tough, you know, shoot him in the eyes and then ask questions kind of spy. And Mm. when you put them together, they're like... Whiskey and tango. They just don't really go together, and you're wondering why those things know, are in the same place. Take a whiskey, you want a tango. Those things go together pretty well. Okay, I, may, I realize I may have made the wrong analogy. My point is that... Whiskey and brain surgery. It's moonlighting, but they're spies. That's like, what we're getting more at More or less. Yeah. They're mismatched. Uh, will they have sexual tension? Gee, I wonder. It's not like it's manufactured from the start or anything. <laughs> it's not like they can't just let the chemistry of the characters take over or the performances. I will like, say that I think Scott Foley and Lauren Cohen have some chemistry. Some. Yeah. I wanna I, I wanna I wanna watch them make out. Sure. Yeah. But they're just both attractive people. Well, yeah, that doesn't hurt. But whether or not they have chemistry, I'd wanna watch them make out. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh so uh whiskey. But, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. He is a Fed. He works for the FBI. She is a spy for the CIA. Mm-hmm. They also, uh, over the course of the pilot, accumulate a ragtag bunch of other people that are going to join their team. Uh, in my favorite wrinkle in the show, their home base is a fake bar in New York. <laughs> you like that part? I, I actually, I, I actually like that because it, it ad- actually added a little bit of visual variety. It gave mm. you a little chance to sort of slow down and catch your breath. There was a place where they could give all of their exposition. Right. Uh, they have a computer hacker who is uh, well, so 
like he's really he's like very, really childish and well, kind he's, of he's an NSA analyst. He isn't mm-hmm. familiar with field work, and as a result, he's very innocent. And um, all of this action-packed mm-hmm. shooting people with gun stuff is pretty new to him. Uh, he's played yeah, by Tyler James Williams right, from uh, Everybody Hates Chris. Uh, that's Standish. There's um. Uh, the, the CIA, uh, the other computer guy, the CIA guy who's Jay, mm-hmm. uh, he's played by Veer Das, and he, his quirk is that he is a, kind of a misanthrope and a little bit too fastidious and can't make friends. Yep. They're also joined by an FBI profiler, played by Anna Ortiz. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's her character name? Susan. Susan. Um, she's an FBI profiler. She's an exceptionally good psychologist. She's responsible for the emotional well-being of the team when she's not out there profiling mm-hmm maniacs and terrorists and trying to figure out what the bad guys are going to do next. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then rounding out the group uh, is Ray. The, Ray is their boss, and he's also the biggest doofus on the, the crew. Yeah, he's played by and, Josh Hopkins, who there's a lot you of, might remember in the, from Quantico. Okay, and there's so. a lot of bad blood right from the start, because in the pilot, it's revealed that um, Scott Foley's character, Will Chase is his name. Uh-huh. Will Chase. Uh-huh. Have well, gone, will have gone, Will Chase. I get it. Um, will Chase, uh, We when we first meet him, his fiancée has just dumped him, and we learn uh, shortly thereafter that she, she dumped him for Ray. Yeah. Because she was having an affair with Ray. So the opening of Whiskey Cavalier, which is this big action-packed spy show, is Scott Foley in an apartment crying to himself while watching You've Got Mail. Mm. And then talking on the phone with his best friend about how he's so sensitive and uh, his feelings are taking control of him. And then he pulls out his assault rifle and gets ready to go to work. Mm. It's a bit of a contrast. Um, there's a MST3K sketch I sent you. Which is very spot on. And we're going to be referring to this a lot and also the movie GoldenEye a lot. <laughs> uh, because both of those things came out in the mid-1990s when this kind of drama was really hip. Yeah, so spy movies, mm-hmm. and particularly the movies, but also novels and such, mm-hmm. um, they lived and died by selling you a certain kind of macho bravado. Yeah. Men were real men, women were real women, uh... Men shot people and then had sex for mm. for the for the, their trouble. And they were they were suave and unflappable in every situation. Mm-hmm. They were capable in violence and they had no uh, sensitivity, no care about other people's emotions because they were action machines. They were above that, and yeah. that was something that for many generations, men were told. <coughs> you okay? Uh, still, still not well. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. men were told in action movies for many generations that to be unflappable and emotionally unavailable uh, is to be heroic and great. Mm-hmm. As someone who saw those movies and liked some of them and not so much others, I often found myself as a sensitive child feeling really alienated from it and wondering why James Bond can kill that many people and feel nothing. Yeah. Well, not, that was supposed to be the appeal of the character. I realized that, but when I was young and actually just... There was no counterpoint to that. Mm. There weren't a lot of action heroes who actually gave a shit. So, there was a, there was a sketch on MST3K. They were watching a movie called Secret Agent Super Dragon. And Crow T. Robot decided to write his own spy script, but for what was considered the sensitive 90s man. Yeah, the, the whole, the, the notion of the sensitive new age guy yeah. was just entering sort of the popular lexicon in the early to mid 90s. And um, yeah, that, that sort of, I guess the, maybe even the late 80s, the sort of mm-hmm. uh, 
progressive, politically correct language started to mm-hmm. make sort of its first wave. Really cares and about your feelings. Like the bad guy says, yeah. "I yes, I have got you now, <laughs> Mister So and So. I will I will destroy you and your family." And yeah. Crow's script would say. Uh, you know, Colonel Viceroy, I understand your feelings. I see yeah. where you're coming from. I can't help but disagree. Mm. And that is Scott Foley. Mm. He is so the, sensitive. The sensitive, the 90s sensitive new age guy. But that doesn't stop him from being a kick butt action spy. And I gotta so, tell you So he's two characters, really? No, I don't, I don't mm. think it's two characters. Right. I think he's, I, this is the reason why, at least initially, mm-hmm. Whiskey Cavalier really spoke to me because because you're, you're a sensitive man. Well, and, I mean, well, what, because because mm-hmm. I was constantly told that as a sensitive guy, there was no place for me in action movies except maybe as a bumbling sidekick. Okay, here the sensitive guy gets to be sensitive, stay sensitive. That is considered an asset in many regards, and in some respects a weakness, and they deal with that. Uh, and he still gets to be suave and sophisticated. And stop the bad guys and jump from exploding helicopters. Mm-hmm. And we are trying right now, I think, as a as a culture, to sort of adapt beyond some of the more toxic ideas about sociology that have crept into yeah, especially well, your popular culture. But there's this mentality that with if you're not allowed to be sexist and ultra violent and sociopathic. Mm-hmm then people won't want to see your movie. And that pisses me the fuck off because I want movies and TV shows to be made that show that there are other ways to tell action stories. And I like that Whiskey Cavalier is trying. It's trying. What it is is it's telling an actually really, really typical old-fashioned spy tale. Yes, exactly. It's taking a lot of really old-fashioned tropes, but what it's doing is adopting a lot of the language of pop psychology of the day. Yeah. So it puts uh, things that are really in... Just sort of in the conversation in terms of the way people are supposed to talk to one another about their feelings Mm -hmm. and just puts it in the mouths of spy characters. And the juxtaposition is supposed to create a lot of, you know, emotional acknowledgement, but also some humor as well, because they're they're supposed to be really tough. And I like that it doesn't Um, get in the way of it being an action packed show. I like that uh, I get to have my cake and eat it, too. Um we recently did a commentary track for a My Little Pony movie. Uh, yeah, which, Equestria Girls Rainbow Equestria Rocks. Girls, My Little Pony Equestria Girls Rainbow Rocks. And it, it kind of stressed me out a little bit watching that movie. I remember. Uh, and it stressed me out because the idea of what friendship is supposed to look like uh, is pretty rigidly codified in the world of My Little Pony. Yeah. People can't have different kinds of friendships. They can't bicker in the world of My Little Pony, because bickering is antithetical to friendship. When, I think if you watch more episodes, you'd see that's not well, entirely that, true, but okay. It's true in the movie. It's true in the point. movie, but yeah, the movie isn't in, in, in a vacuum. I'm not but talking about the whole series. I'm, I'm just saying, about the movie in, and, in the show's defense, it doesn't only do that. And the way the characters treat each other and talk to each other, it is presented as this is sort of the way friendship is supposed to function. Not taking into account that people are very, very different and can be very, very different and still have friendships. I feel the same way about Whiskey Cavalier. Mm. The way people are supposed to talk about their feelings and process emotions and process things varies from person to person. Not everybody's going to react to things differently. And I feel like all of the characters are frustratingly the same and frustratingly on the same page when it comes to the way they are processing their emotions and the way they're talking about their emotions and the way they react to one another and the way they solve all of their conflicts. I'm going to, I'm going to, it feels 
really contrived. I, I will I will agree that it's contrived, mm. uh, and I will agree that I think the show becomes too homogenized over time. I think they initially yeah. start out trying to focus on everyone's differences and how difficult yeah, it's yeah. going to be to get everyone together. So, again, you have uh, Scott Foley as Whiskey mm. Cavalier. He's the sensitive guy. You have Lauren Cohen as the tough, old-fashioned James Bond-type agent. Yeah, a, lot, a lot colder, more business-minded. Mm. Uh, you have uh, <laughs> Anne Ortiz as, uh, as Susan, and she's, she's emotional, but she's analytical about mm. it, and that's going to come from a different direction. Uh, you have... Uh, uh, Jay, the CIA agent, mm-hmm. um, where he's supposed to be just really cut off from everybody and really mm-hmm. isolated and misanthropic. Uh, you have the uh, naive new guy who's, who's supposed who's, to... Who's only id and, yeah, can't, yeah. can't really control his emotions because he's really immature. And then you have Ray, who, after the first episode, he's not a terrible human being. He just... He's just, betrayed his friend, and he, he feels bad about that, yeah, he, and he spends the entire series he's, trying to get back yeah, into Will's good graces because he really of, does yeah, care. He's kind of a dunderhead. He's he's a well-meaning lout who makes bad decisions. Right. And They're now, all different characters. They should all be interacting in different ways, and I think for about half of the first season, they do. But then yeah, they well, come together too quickly, they come together and then they're to, just too much alike at the end. Well, and when you look at sort of like an ensemble uh, show where you have a bunch of different people, each with their, especially a spy show, where they come from different disciplines and different uh, categories of the American government spy system. Right. And they each have a different skill. I think we need to have, we need to see more of that. Mm -hmm. We need to see how different they are, not just in terms of their character, but in terms of their skill set. This guy can do these things, and we get to see kind of like in a Mission Impossible sort of way, how these very different disciplines kind of complement or perhaps bounce off of each other. Right. And we also are granted this great idea of having two leaders. We have a, a leader who's a little bit more team-oriented and wants to listen to his team. Mm-hmm. Wants and, to be supportive. Yeah. And wants to be kind of uh, uh, the stalwart emotional rock of all of these people. And mm-hmm. then we have somebody who just says, we got to knuckle under and we got to get the job done. Right. And I think having those two leaders play off of each other would have been an interesting uh, analysis of the way command works, like command structure. Well, you you want to make it more like Star Trek. I, I suppose which, I do. Where yeah. Every episode of Star Trek is if, if how does Kirk, McCoy, and Spock mm-hmm. each approach a problem differently and how do they find well, the right path between the well, three that, of them. And that's any show. How does, you know, Bolana Torres and Tuvok also interact? Okay, you can know, you but, pick a non-Star Trek example? Can you think of a non-Star Trek example? Oh, I, how is Friends said, like that? I just said Mission Impossible. How okay, they, they each have different different Fine. disciplines and all of the movies have different like slightly different teams all or right. some you know all right. any any show that's about an ensemble or a team I love that you went through two Star Treks okay two Star <laughs> but you, you said it's very it on is, brand the, the, it, it's on brand and I guess that's kind of what I wanted is sort of mm-hmm. watching the team working well together but I there's so much time allotted on this show for light romantic banter mm-hmm. that all of the characters start bantering in the same way real, really early on and we never get this idea that they really are coming from different walks and have right. different disciplines. And I think that's a problem. I agree. Yeah. I think that's a problem. I think it's, you want to have... Little, it's you, a little too light and quippy which is of course it's Rise on Debt. Well I think you, you want it light and quippy <laughs> but you want the quips to come from genuine differences in personality and you know different philosophies and ideas mm-hmm. um, and in Star Trek everyone was pretty unflappable they were close and they were friends, but they, McCoy never changed who he was. Mm-hmm. He might learn a lesson in one episode, but fundamentally he was the same guy. Whereas here, everyone starts out really disparate and they get really similar really, really quickly. And I think that was a huge mistake, especially Lauren Cohen's character, who I feel learns to open up and be friendly way too fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way too fast. She should have been the outlier the entire time, constantly mm-hmm. fighting it. 
it. Mm-hmm. And for the first six episodes or so, she is. And that dynamic really, really helps the yeah everything get really zesty. But mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but anyway, the, yeah. This, as we said, this show debuted on ABC. Uh, it lasted thirteen episodes. Yeah. Um, Lauren Cohan is from the movie The Boy. That's probably what you know her from. Uh, you know her from The Walking Dead. Uh, nobody watches The Walking Dead. Okay. But everybody saw The Boy. Of That's course. And Mile thing. 22, of course. Yeah, oh, indeed. Yeah, yeah. And also Mile 22. I want to say this right now. Um, Scott Foley, I like fine. I remember him on Felicity and mm. Scream 3, and I could kind of take him or leave him like he's okay. Uh, Lauren Cohen, I actually think, is like clearly a huge star. Like She's clearly like looking for the right starring role. Mm-hmm. And The Boy is really good. If you haven't seen The Boy, it's a really, really fun, creepy thriller that does not go where you expect. I yeah, like it a yeah. lot. Uh, but, like, <clears throat> she is clearly supposed to be an action star or mm-hmm. some sort of major-level TV or movie star. And this is a good fit for her because she just wears the clothing well. Not the actual clothing. She just the, wears, wears the trappings of the genre. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it clearly fits her. She's very well cast. Mm-hmm. So I was very excited to see her in this, and I think she gets pretty good chemistry with Scott Foley, and um, yeah, and I like the whole team overall. Mm. You talk about the team dynamic and how they get kind of uh, samey, and again, I agree. But again, when you look at the spy franchise or the spy genre as wish fulfillment, okay, yeah, let's look at it. Let's look at it because that's what it is. It's the macho fantasy, and and indeed, every episode of Whiskey Cavalier gets to shoot people and get away with it. Yeah, Yeah. like every episode of Whiskey, and we'll go through every episode in a minute, but. Every episode of Whiskey Cavalier, they get to go to exotic locales and mm. pretend to be cool people and they, 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 get they, they, awesome motorcycle chases. They license cool songs that have nothing to do with the scene. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. it's all fun. It's yeah. all like, ooh, I want to do that. That looks great. Um, but there was always something about the spy movies that were very lonely. James mm. Bond never had a long committed relationship, yeah. and his friendships were all based on work. Like, so the other fantasy that I got out of Whiskey Cavalier, and mm. I know you see this as a detriment, but the idea is you get to have a really cool job and a support net. And a lot of good friends. And a lot of really, t- Talk yeah. about your feelings about, yeah. That's, that's a fantasy. That's a great think, fantasy. That's a really harmless fantasy, I, I and I'm not going to judge the show too harshly mm. for wanting to give us that, because I, I like so. that in I theory. Think, I think it's it's two fantasies that conflict with one another that are going at the same time. because one I of think them is kind of fun as well. Yeah, one is the spy fantasy where you get to do violence. That's kind of a dark fantasy. Uh-huh. But then the other fantasy is, I wish my coworkers would just talk to me. But that's but here's the thing. And now the they're trying to mix the, those two things. The idea that those have to be separate, I think, is arbitrary. Well, I, it's, think it's something that, I think it's something in, that fits certain characters in this mold Mm. but why does it have to you have to rely on people Mm. in that situation you have to trust people with your life in order to be a good espionage agent FBI agent why wouldn't you form close attachments well you form close attachments in that military sort of way soldiers claim to be very very close but they're not like close emotionally they don't have romances I don't know if that's true well I, I, I don't know too many soldiers, but uh, let's I, I see, romance out of, of it. Let's just say that's that's contrivance. Okay. But I've, close, I've seen, close I've friendships. Seen a, yeah. I've seen a lot of film films and TV shows about sort of the soldier experience. So that that's all I'm going on here. I was never well, a soldier myself. I, I think I think there is but, a slight difference between hmm. working in law enforcement and working as a soldier. But I think I think oh, okay. I, it's a little different. You got to admit, it's at least a little different. going going to exotic locales and killing people. Same job. Uh, <laughs> Just one, one, one is sneaky and one is noisy. That's the only difference. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Uh, we should get into the episodes here. So the pilot episode is a big, big getting-to-know-everybody episode. Well, the uh, the story is, this is before the team is formed, so we get to introduce all of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Will Chase is crying. He starts doing his job. He is after a computer hacker who is Standish. 
Uh, yeah, Standish yeah, so has is a whistleblower who has stolen information from the NSA, but they think he's going to sell it to terrorists. They think he's a mm-hmm. real, real bad guy. So both he and a CIA agent, clearly not calling each other, are mm-hmm. both on on the chase, and they're both. Uh, he's essentially the bag that they have to pass back and forth, yeah, and they they spend the entire pilot. Uh, alternately in control of the situation. Yeah, so uh, uh, Lawrence, they, they get in chases where they're trying to grab Standish and like mm. take him over here, and then Wilf gets Standish, and then uh, Lauren Cohen gets Standish, and then Will kidnaps Lauren Cohen, and then Lauren Cohen kidnaps Will, and they both trade off being in the trunk Who, of the in car. The trunk, yeah. All of that's fun, by the way. It's a fun yes. pilot. I do think the pilot is pretty solid. It, it could have been punchier, but you know. It could have been a movie, basically. Like, it would have been a good spy movie. Um, and then um, it boils down to, it turns out Standish isn't a bad guy. He was, again, he was a whistleblower. He had found uh, corruption within the CIA and the FBI. And surprise, it turns out that the person who was responsible for all the evil doings was Will's boss. Mm-hmm. So Will and Lauren Cohen have to team up uh, to take down his boss. Will throws a knife into his chest. It's really brutal. <laughs> um, the, Will saves Lauren Cohen's life. Um, he finds out his best friend had stolen his girlfriend and they hadn't said anything for seven months and it's super awkward. And at the end of the episode, uh, Will, Laura, uh, uh, Lauren Cohen, mm-hmm. Standish, uh, Jay, who initially had appeared as a bartender, but it turned out he was just undercover and helping Lauren Cohen. Mm-hmm. And Susan, who was Will's best friend from the Academy and is, of course, an FBI profiler, uh, they're all put on the same team together because they want to have uh, more interagency support because there are clearly crimes going on that require both the FBI and CIA mm-hmm. to work together. And as the series progresses, we find out that there is a sort of specter-like organization called The Trust, that has corrupted all levels of government and law enforcement all over the world. Which is the dumbest part of the show. It's, it's fine. It, it's mean, just it, a bad well, guy. Here, it's, it's just smirch. It's, it's, it's smirch. chaos. You said it's, it's specter like It's yeah. foul from Darkwing Duck. It's, it's just yeah. one organization they get the fight. Here's the deal. It's hard to deem it. <coughs> when you're doing a spy movie, oftentimes you're, you can't always fight a rogue agent. Sometimes you have people who are working for organizations, terrorist organizations, sometimes other countries, and you just want to create a fictional one that you can have always be the bad guy. Because we can't just have the Russians anymore. Here's here's the problem with that. All of of these things we're talking about in terms of like the spy story and the interagency cooperation, this was all... This is all Cold War stuff. This Mm -hmm. is all being done in the early James Bond films in the 60s. It's, yeah. it's old That's now. That's where all the fantasies come from, yeah. It's where all the fantasies come from. It's old now. It's all contrived now. So whenever you try to introduce it as if it's this kind of big, serious plot point, and you so, like, you so recognize it, A, you're either going to be really comforted because you want something really predictable, mm-hmm. which is, you know, one of the functions of TV. It's one of the functions of genre. Uh, and, or you're just going to have people like me who roll their eyes at the contrivance of it all because I've seen it so many times before. But again, you're here for the contrivance. You don't go to a slasher mm. and go, ah, there's a guy in a mask killing everybody. This sucks. But, like, you know, know what you're in for, At right? least a little bit of twist. There's no twist on the material is my point. I think the Apart twist from is just the character tone. stuff. I think yeah. the twist is just tone. And it's just a matter yeah, of, we're just going to do it real, real fun. Every once in a while, you want to do something kind of straightforward just to mm. remind you of how the genre works. Mm. Um, the next episode is called The Checklist. Check is spelled with a C-Z. Ah. Ah. 
Uh, there's a bad guy who has a ledger full of stuff that they need. And uh, in order to get that ledger, uh, the, the bad guy ends up getting killed. In order to get the ledger, they need his eye. So they have to steal his eye, and they're mm-hmm. jumping it back and forth. And then it turns out you need not just his eye, but the eye of his wife. His, his estranged wife, who doesn't know that he was up to anything bad, and Will has to seduce the wife. And Everyone's he's like, emo- he's, he's not ready for this. Vulnerable, yeah. vulnerable because he just broke up. Yeah, you're on the rebound. This is a bad idea. You're going to form too close an attachment. And no, 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 no. But it turns out they actually have a really fun, sexy time together. But surprise, she's the bad guy. And it ends in a kind of a fun sequence where uh, uh, Scott Foley and Lauren Cohen are trapped in a vault. And the vault is filling with water. Mm. And they have to figure out a way to break into the vault in like five minutes. And uh, that's cute. That's cute. It's a fun little bit. Mm. Um, I actually really like this sequence. I think it's uh, this whole episode is kind of peppy. Mm. You know, really, uh, the team is just getting to know each other, and there's a bit more conflict in these early episodes. This episode is pretty damn good. I would say, like, this is probably Uh, the episode to see, if you only see one episode of Whiskey Cavalier. The the action sequences are, are not exciting to watch. Just the, the, really? Yeah, the, I think they're fine. I mean, they're TV. You can't they're, go they're, do nuts. But. I, I think I think that's part of my problem. They're they're like going for something that's like a little bigger than what they have the means to do, mm-hmm. and so they're doing some you know fight scenes. But it's they're filmed in such a way that it feels really small, and they're trying to cover for something mm-hmm. rather than just work with their means. They're trying to make it bigger than it is. Which means the the action scenes are going to come across as a little bit lazy. I don't think they're, lazy. They're, I they're think they're going to feel small in terms of like a canon group kind of way. Like this is the mm. best we can do. Well, it, 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 and if I got that kind of like scrappy little, we're going to try to put on a show vibe from something like Whiskey Cavalier, then that would be fine. But this is like an A production from a big TV studio. It's still TV though. It's like, still compared TV. To movies, it feels small. That's the, my point. They're trying to make it feel like a movie. All right. And I, I don't think they're succeeding that well. That's so fair. whenever the action sequences starts, like, oh, well, like, I know where it's going because yeah. it's really a really predictable show. Yeah. And the action is just going to be pretty standard. Not to belittle, you know, all of the hard work that the stuntmen and the choreographer and the uh, choreographers and the actors all did. Yeah. They did their job. It's yeah, fine. They did a good job. I'm not saying they're failing. I'm saying... Just not presented the, excitingly enough. The, yeah, the idea of yeah. what they're presenting to me is so old-fashioned that... You're not going to get any thrills out of me. Uh, next up, uh, when in Rome. In this one, they go to Rome. Uh, turns out there is a neo-fascist group in Rome that wants to do a false flag operation to blame immigrants for killing a whole bunch of people, and they hide a bomb in the sewers. And there's a very, there's actually a pretty sexy sequence, I think, in which, uh, in order to uh, defuse the bomb, Will has to like crawl under the bomb. Mm. And uh, what is Lauren Cohen's character's name? It's driving me up the wall. <laughs> it's what? Lauren Cohen. H- yeah, but Agent it, Cohen. I, no, it's, it's uh, Frankie. Frankie. And Frankie has to cl- has to, like straddle him and like mm. reach the bomb on top. Mm. So they're like it's really intimate, but also they're about to die. Mm. That's a cute little bit. Right. Some sexual tension there. <laughs> uh, this is also the episode where Standish starts wanting to become a better field agent because he realizes he is completely helpless out there. And he asks for a gun. And they're like, we can't give you a gun. You're not rated for a gun. And every time he tries to pick up a weapon to defend himself, he ends up making everything worse. Mm -hmm. So they have to start training him to be useful in the field. And that leads to yuck yucks. Um, That's about that. Mm. Basically, straightforward episode. Uh, The next one is clearly one that they wanted to get out of the way quickly. It's called Mr. and Mrs. Trowbridge. Or where they have to pretend to be a married couple. Yeah. uh, Frankie's last name is Trowbridge. (laughs) Okay. 
I'll worry about you. Uh, no, they have I'm, to, I'm very ill. <laughs> I know. Uh, uh, Will and Frankie have to pretend to be a married couple in order to infiltrate a wedding and uh, extricate a bad guy whose daughter is getting married. They have to pretend to be the perfect couple, which, of course, they don't get along very well at this point well, in the relationship. And, uh, and in what? fact, in the middle of the undercover op, she just runs off and sleeps with some tattooed guy. <laughs> Who I think she knew earlier, like it's an old boyfriend of hers. Or something. She's, she has a type. She, yeah. She's into, like, muscly, tattooed, Jason mercenary Mo- Jason guys. Jason Momoa. Basically Jason Momoa Of course, who's, who's not into Jason Momoa? Everyone's oh, into Jason Momoa. He's cool. But, um, of course, this makes Scott Foley mm. jealous because... Well, and they, it also know. you know reveals their different uh, views of relationships. She sees relationships as temporary things. Yeah, she doesn't like have ten- a line of work that allows for yeah, deep so, commitment. She's not interested. So yeah, she she gets a little bit of physical bonding here and there, and you know that's that's fine for her work. Whereas he is a little bit more romantic. He wants something a little bit more long term and respectful mm-hmm. and emotional, and uh, they get to have banter along those lines. It's fine. Um, it's a fine episode. Yeah. It's not amazing. It's fine. Remind me to get back to Goldeneye. We'll get to Goldeneye in a second. <laughs> I'm waiting for this to pay off. You guys well, up early. Well, okay, let me, let me say, Goldeneye was the first James Bond movie that came out after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Cold War was over. James Bond character... James Bond is useless now, not only as an agent, but as a character within the popular consciousness. We could have stopped James Bond after Timothy Dalton. Right in they, his tracks. Right, yeah, just... Stop We're it done. right there because we don't need the Cold War spy. It's an old cliche. It's not not needed. And what I liked about Goldeneye is they brought that up a lot. Yeah. The Cold War is over. And he has said right to his face, brand new James Bond. We're going to continue the franchise. You're a dinosaur, James Bond. We have no use for you. Yeah. And indeed, and the whole plot of that movie is a whole bunch of spies have nothing left to do. So they decide to become thieves. Exactly. Yeah. It's a good movie. I like I, that movie I, I a think, lot. I think that was a good way to continue it. Um then, you know, that sort of continued through the 90s. One really, really good follow-up. One okay follow-up. One terrible movie that came out after 9-11 and everything had changed. <laughs> um, yeah, Die Another Day is so, so... Like, it's even it's, worse than you remember. It's But I do think it's fun stupid. It's fun stupid. It's like... Like, the, fir- the first scene, like, the first, ha- like, third of that movie is, like, dark torture, like, you know, yeah. Abu Ghraib, all of this, like, really horrendous, up-to-date, like, horror images coming out of the war. And then invisible and, cars! And then, and then all of a sudden we cut it off and put on Batman and Robin. You know, it's like, it becomes <laughs> yeah. that stupid. It really does. It's like it's Casino Royale. It's like, yeah, Batman Begins and Batman and Robin are the same movie. Yeah, it's pretty uh, great. But the whole idea that was coming up, because that movie came out in 1995, GoldenEye, mm. and that was when the sensitive New Age guy stuff started coming in, and they also had to question his womanizing yeah uh he, he was and still, his drinking for that his, matter, yes, womanizing too. and his drinking were yeah. actually problems now and there was something like you can't just do that all the time yeah that's that's horrible I, for I think, you i think austin powers killed that dead yeah when austin yeah. powers did it i think that's when just like yeah we just can't have him sleeping with everybody anymore mm. like you, you just can't yeah, and by the time we got to austin powers yeah it's it's subject of spoofery yeah well it had been for a bit but even mm. the spoofs in the 60s your your dean the martin Royale, movie, and, yeah and, these and were, Matt Helm. they were still enjoying that stuff unironically yeah it was you know the sexiness was still ironic now the stuff that used to make these characters cool is the stuff that makes them kind of pathetic mm. And, and I, I, I think like that. I always I, thought that's cool. I liked yeah. that about Goldeneye because James Bond, they weren't afraid to present him as both cool and pathetic. Yeah. And I, and I feel like Whiskey Cavalier is trying to have them be uh, like cool and sensitive at the same time, which is kind of what Goldeneye was pushing toward. But James Bond was pushing back because he's a myth from an older time. Right. And I feel like Whiskey Cavalier is not acknowledging 
how old-fashioned it is. It's trying to pretend like it's a really modern idea, all this spy stuff. And, and it's not really acknowledging the darker side of this. That's, the, with the, they, yeah. they could have with the Lauren Coat with Frankie, yeah. but I don't think they pushed her far enough. They were, didn't let her be dark or efficient or violent enough no, they, to really juxtapose what they're trying to sell us I with think the, the humor. biggest mistake the series did, and I mean this, and I like this series, mm. The biggest mistake this series did was make was like the idea is they start at polar opposites, Will and Frankie. Will yeah. is super sensitive and Frankie is super dark and eventually, you know, they'll bicker and stuff and maybe one will have a moment where they get lighter, one will have a moment where they get darker, but gradually you kind of want them to meet in the middle. Mm. They do that by episode six. <laughs> yeah. You need that to last the entire series. You can't have <clears throat> episode six of the X-Files being Scully saying, well, you're right, Mulder. Aliens yeah. are real. The show is over. You ruined it. And then, you need and, that give and take. You need and, that push and also, and, and also, they sleep together immediately. Yeah, you can't do it. They break don't break all the all the romantic tension they haven't even. They don't yet. sleep together right away in Whiskey Cavalier, but halfway through the series, they admit their sexual tension that they like to date, but that they shouldn't. Mm. That also kind of kills it. You need to have them like sort of deny it. Hmm. Um, and the next episode is the one where they actually do that. It's called uh, the English Job. Here they go to England. Get it? Well, and and they uh, they meet a character I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, they meet the MI6 agent, who's sort of like an on again, off and on member of the team. I don't like what happened to her in uh, the course no, of the series. Yeah. Um, but she she's played by an actress named Get This. This is not her spy name. This is the actress's real name. Her name is Ophelia Lovey Bond. That sounds like a Bond character. It sounds name. like a Bond character name. But that is the actress's name, and she's great. She's I like wonderful. Her a lot. I've, I've seen her in other things. She has a lot of uh, wit, charm, and personality. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish she had played uh, the um, Lauren Conigard. No, the the Will Chase character. If you had had these two, yeah, like uh, that. had these two women who are sort of bantering. Like, first of all, if they're both straight women, there's not going to be quite as much romantic tension. Mm-hmm. Fans would have put it in there anyway, but yeah, because uh, that's what fans do. But uh, yeah, having these two different command structures from two strong women who have different approaches to their uh, their jobs, and I think she was a good balance between being kind of a soulful person but also a really efficient spy, better than Will Chase was. You're probably right. Um, I really like her character a lot. Mm. She has a lot of instant chemistry with uh, <laughs> Will, and she becomes very quickly. There's a whole thing about people are going to kidnap foreign nationals, mm. and it's a whole thing, and they solve it. Um, like it's, these, these spy the, stories the, are so disposable. The spy stories are disposable. We're talking about the character stuff. That's clearly yeah. where the show lives. Um, they, this is the episode where they do the thing that I hate in every TV show. Uh-huh. This is people sometimes asking, "What's your biggest like pet peeve in TV?" This is it. Okay, right here. It's the one where we have two characters who have romantic chemistry. Will they or won't they? Mm-hmm. And just when you think that one of them decides, I'm going to tell him how I feel, mm-hmm. and then. Because of a conversation they had had earlier in the episode where she said, I'm not ready for a relationship yet. She walks in and now he's kissing the British agent. And she's like, oh, well, I guess we won't get together until season seven now. It's so fucking arbitrary. (laughs) You see this in every fucking show. Every fucking show that introduces two people who are clearly meant to be together, according to the writers, if not necessarily to the audience. And then halfway through, it's like, oh, just when you think it's going to happen, one of them starts dating someone else, and it gets awkward, and all you are is filling time. Mm -hmm. You're just filling time. I am so sick and fucking tired of that. I wouldn't mind if he just dated someone. That Mm -hmm. would be fine. But you have to add that moment where Frankie's like, I'm going to tell Will we should date. Oh, no, I saw him kissing someone. Oh, Mm. no. Credits. What will happen next week? I'm so sick. It's so 
fucking tired. And, and it's always at that moment. And the, in, in this case, at least it's legit because Will didn't have a thing for Frankie. And he does have a thing for well, he, o- Ophelia Loveybond. He does. So. He feels a little jealous over and stuff like that. Like, but he has a genuine mm. affection for Ophelia Loveybond. Yeah. Like, it's not like that's like just someone he's dating because mm. she's convenient. He but clearly would love to date her. What's even worse than the contrivance you're talking about is uh, Lauren Cohen walks in on somebody when there's like this. The woman was kissing Will, and Will wasn't into it. And, and now she's a, and now and, and everything's been misinterpreted. Uh, and he has to chase out. That's even worse. That is worse. I'll yeah. give you that. That's worse, but that happens a little less often on TV than thing I'm talking. Anyway, mm-hmm. moving on. The next episode is Five Spies and a Baby. This mm-hmm. is the one where they get a baby. This is the one where they they rip off the story to the Mandalorian. They rip off actually a lot of things in this episode. Well, the, the, like this episode uh, this is, has this for, episode. First of all, the title is a reference to Three Men and a Baby, which right. was itself a remake, yeah. which was itself kind of a remake of Three Godfathers. Uh, but anyway, a, a John Wayne Western. Uh, anyway, uh, the episode is they're on a mission in uh, the Czech Republic. No, they're in Bulgaria. Bulgaria they're yeah. in Bulgaria in this one. Uh, they're on a mission in Bulgaria, and they think everything's fine. But just when they oh, we got all the stolen merchandise, everything's great. Oh, there's a baby in the back. Mm-hmm. Well, whose baby is that? Well, I guess this is going to take a little longer than we thought. And it turns out they've stumbled across a baby smuggling ring. Yeah, and well, it's, it's it's a person smoke. It's not just babies, right? Um, no, I guess it is just babies. Yeah, this one's just babies. Okay. There's another one where there's an organ smuggling ring. That's, that's one, right. That, that's a different, it's a different episode. episode. I think it's a better episode. But um, and it turns out that the chief of police is behind it all, so they can't mm. go to the local authorities. And the chief of police has hired a mercenary who, who's totally badass. Mm. I like the mercenary. Um, is, is this Tina? Tina. Tina, Tina the mercenary who does a lot of poor, like low rent parkour stuff. Yeah, and they dress her in like. L- leather shirts with like skillful rips in the back and these weird chains that are completely unpractical. She looks like Gina Carano in Fast and Furious 6. Like that's the vibe they're going for. She, she looks like, she looks really cool, you know, but no, she's, she's like this new bad guy. They got to stop, but Mm. uh, surprise, she's actually a deep undercover CIA agent. Who's trying to stop these guys too. Mm. Um, And uh, yeah. And in the end they stop those guys and they get the baby back. That's fine. And uh, also, even though we didn't have a lot of time to establish that there was a lot of romantic tension, it was all manufactured. There's the now we have the point where Frankie has to come to peace with the fact mm-hmm. that uh, Will and oh, what is oh it's Emma Emma Ophelia Loveybond's character Will and Emma actually like are are going to date each other. Yeah. All right. The next episode: yeah. Spain trains an automobile. Blah. Okay. Shame on you. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> uh, this is about a stolen plutonium core or something. What's this one? Oh. Yeah, remember there's like the little little ball. Um, this is where. Um, oh, this is the one where they get they get stuck in like the snow and they have to like. Uh, oh, this is the exact opposite. Will and Frankie get stuck in like a cabin in the woods mm-hmm. and they like end up drinking the wine that's there and everything. And yeah, then they, they they're hiding in someone else's cabin. They find they steal the wine and leave a note saying, "Sorry, we were spies. We stole your wine." Yeah, and. Uh, Will has a hurt shoulder, and there's going to be a lot of massages. And, yeah. And then Emma walks in on them, and oh my gosh. Oh no, tension. there was two cups of wine. Fucking, that means he's cheating on you. Fucking Friends episode. Uh, this is also the one with Dash Mihawk, uh, <laughs> who, is, uh, who plays uh, one of Will's old friends who has turned rogue mm. and is trying to steal uranium oh, to right. sell. Oh, right. The relationship, he's like an old Marine, and yeah. he, he was always corrupt. But they could never really get him on it, so it starts yeah. with like a bar brawl. Like you and your team are all corrupt. Yes, we are. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to try punching you. Right, we haven't done a bar fight yet. Let's do the bar fight episode. Boom, bitty, boom, bitty, boom. Mm. Um, yeah. Next up, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. <laughs> well, That's what, what, just the name of a movie. What, you didn't even the, change that. Yeah. 
He didn't even change that. Where, where well, does this one, one take place? One more oh, thing this is about, a Christmas episode. One more thing about the, yeah. uh, the, the before we move on, the, the radioactive core. There was an interesting conceit. Mm, oh, yeah, yeah, Because yeah. this is a real thing. They have, like, little... Like, Geiger counters. Uh, essentially, tricorders. They're, like, scanning things. They're Geiger counters. The, yeah, these little handheld Geiger counters. And they were able to fool people because they used spent plutonium to make bullets, which is a real thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that was vaguely clever. Yeah, they put so many spent plutonium bullets... In a bag, they were able to think that, oh, that's where the bomb is, but it turns out it wasn't. That was a cute little conceit. I thought that was a cute detail. Uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. This is the Christmas episode. And I like this episode because of the Christmas thing. Because. Well, it it, it aired in... Uh, when, when did this one air? Like April. April. And the gag is... Uh, nobody at the CIA or the FBI has time to celebrate the actual holidays during the holidays. Mm. So they have... have to reschedule Christmas. They put Christmas at like a slow time of year so that they can actually mm. have a Christmas. And everyone's got a secret Santa. And that's that. Mm. That's cute. I like that. I like secret Santa episodes. And I like, I like episodes that are holiday episodes, but they take you by surprise. Mm. My favorite one's in Gravity Falls. Gravity Falls, if you haven't seen it... <laughs> Great animated series uh, from Disney, and it takes place all over the course of a summer as two uh, twins spend the summer with their uncle who runs a mystery shack in a small town in, I think, Oregon. And, uh, and he's, he's like a Shriner, like belongs to a cult or something? He, he doesn't belong to a cult. He's, good. he's a Shriner, though. And uh, he's, got, he's got the Fez. He wears the Fez. And there's a, every, it turns out there's tons of mysteries and monsters and all kinds of stuff actually around town, and it's kind of like a kid-friendly X-Files. It's really great. Mm. Um, but because the entire show takes place over the summer, they couldn't do a holiday episode unless it was like 4th of July. Right. So they decided that in this small town, they have a, they have a summer event called Summerween, in which everyone <laughs> carves watermelons and goes around because they love Halloween so much, they do it twice a year. Oh, that's really funny. So I love Summerween. Mm. Look up Summerween. I think it's like June 22nd or something. Yeah. Celebrate Summerween. Call, carve a jack-a-melon. And uh, and go around giving out candy. It's a lot of fun. I love that episode. That's a fun idea. I, I, ever since I was a kid, I've wanted to carve a watermelon. Just you can. Sort of, sort of to, to toss There's it up. There's nothing stopping never, you. Uh, I, I, tradition always gets the better of me, and I go for the pumpkin after all. There's nothing but, stopping you. Um, uh, but yeah, there's, this is the Christmas episode. There's a secret Santa. And this is also the reappearance episode of like the show's... Uh, Blofeld, essentially. Yeah, the the Will's boss from the first episode who betrayed turns, everybody. Yeah, turns, turns out, out he survived, survived mm. and they've been keeping him under lock and key because he's the only person that they know. It's basically the beginning of Quantum of Solace. They know he but, knows stuff of them to trust. Yeah. They are trying to interrogate him. Oh, but and all of a sudden he's like this master manipulator supervillain, which he wasn't before. All of that rings false. Yeah. This whole thing yeah. he tries he's, to do he's, this he's thing a tol- like he's from their past, but he's a whole new character now. Yeah, he's now. Well, I guess now we see the real him or whatever, but mm. it doesn't track. And he does this whole thing where he's interrogating people and he says things that are supposed to get under the skin of everyone in the team. So he's going to like ruin the team unity. And it fails because they brought the team together too quickly. And he keeps saying things like, oh, yeah, and this person said this thing about that guy. And everyone's just like, you did? Well, that hurts my feelings. I know. Okay, well, I didn't know you very well then. Same. And then they're done. It doesn't work. You brought the team together too quick. You you ruined this whole episode. I feel the same way about Loki's plan in the first Avengers team-up movie. Well, at least then they don't know each other in that movie, you know? They don't know each other, but it's like they're already on the helicarrier together. It's like you're clearly a superhero team. What what are you doing? Also, you're a god. Would a a great fall kill him? Yeah. I I guess so. And so they use this episode uh, to... To uh, test the bonds of the team. And it turns out they're they're fine. Frankie has to pretend to go undercover. Like has to pretend to like 
switch sides and actually shoot Will, mm. which he trusts her to do, which is nice, but mm. at the same time, they're too close. There's no tension anymore, like, they're, between they're the team. They're too close. To, yeah, there's, there's no There's, no there's bickering, she... and it's funny sometimes, but yeah, that's about it. Oh, by the way, Susan has started sleeping with Ray. That's right, secretly. Yeah, because and and Will still hates Ray, with mm. good cause. And she can't, so they can't tell Will this. They can't mm. be open about it. Um, Ray is a big old doofus anyway, so I kind of get it. I feel like Ray, not Ray, uh, Susan, Jay, and and um, Standish. Standish are all kind of the same character. They have a little bit of personality quirks, and the actors are like trying to bring their own personality to it. I like but the on, whole cast. On yeah. the page, I think they're all really, really similar. Jay maybe a little less so because he's supposed to be kind of a misanthrope and he mm-hmm. doesn't like the other people. But they all, like, sort of joke in the same way. I think it's the sitcom-y tone of the series overall. Yeah, maybe so. Else. I think if they had treated the story a little less jovially, I think... Because, mm. again, they need to keep these people apart more. Mm. I still maintain that the or, best comedy ensemble cast in the history of television is news radio. Because okay. everyone has really distinctive personalities, and sometimes alliances form, but they mm. never become the same characters. They're mm. always really distinctive, I, and you always know how they're going to respond around each other, and it's always funny. Yeah, I, I feel like the vibe they're going for is something a little bit more like Burn Notice. I still haven't uh, seen Burn Notice. Yeah, Bur- yeah. and I, I keep going back to Burn Notice just because it's one of the ones I'm familiar with. But yeah. uh, Burn Notice was about this sort of ragtag group of spies. There's, uh, you know, the, the main spy. There's his his ex girlfriend. There that will will there or won't they? She's also really really violent. They have kind of the the jokey guy on the ground. That's Bruce Campbell. Mm-hmm. You have uh, like uh, the spy's mom. There's this whole ensemble of characters that all have very distinct personalities. But there's a little bit, uh, like, their relationships are a little bit more complicated on Burn Notice. There's, like, some animosity yeah. or some, like, friendly resentment. You know, it's it's okay to love your friends but still give them shit. Yeah. And I feel like the characters on Whiskey Cavalier don't give each other shit. Not, not a lot. They're, they're, they get along. There's a good and example in the next episode, I actually yeah. like. But, and yeah. I understand that's kind of the point of the show, is that they just get along, and it's okay to have them to get along. But I that... still think it took too, it's too fast, but yeah. whatever. Anyway, the next episode is Hearts and Minds. I mostly like this episode. Uh, this is the organ trafficking episode. It, I, I thought that, that's a cool idea. It is cool. So what happens is, uh, <coughs> at the beginning of the episode, uh, Will and Frankie are having an argument over which one of them is a better leader for the team, and it turns out everyone looks to Will as the natural leader, because mm. He is nurturing and kind, and Frankie just wants everyone to suck it, suck it up, and do their job. You're all adults; you don't need me to hold your hand. Mm. And so, what happens is, the, and, of an op- and of course, they're both right. Yeah, and, and an operation goes really, really bad, and Will ends up getting taken by the bad guys, and they're going to harvest him for organs because that's what they do. They, they and they s- only have like a day to find him. They they kidnap really like healthy, strong people just so they can cut them up, which is really but, fucked up. And well, it's good, a good, it's good, good tales from the crypt kind of premise. And it's really, really creepy. And now Lauren is left in charge of the team. I'm sorry, uh, Frankie's left in charge of the team, and she's not. It's it's kind of like that episode of early Star Trek where Spock was like stuck in like a or Galileo Seven, a, a Galileo yeah. Seven, where Spock is stranded on a planet and he's only has one like leadership style, so people aren't really following him very well. And Lauren, uh, Frankie realizes she has to be a little bit more sensitive to her mm-hmm. team's needs because they need someone to, be- to not just tell them what to do, but to lead them. Um, they end up saving Will, obviously, but there's a couple of bits in this episode that really remind me of how kind of lazy the writing can be on this show. Like <laughs> how contrived the spy stuff it's is. Not even, or, no, it's not even contrived. The it's, they'll just take scenes from other movies. Like there's a bit where Will is like trapped in the in the uh, uh, the 
trunk of a car mm. and they're driving him away and they, we don't know where he is he doesn't have a tracker on him oh so he starts uh, yeah, but the, he has the, the earpiece so he can talk to his team so he's talking to his team and he's describing what it sounds mm. like in that car and it's like that's just the scene from Sneakers yeah. and then there's a scene later Which on was ripped where, off in that Halle Berry movie was it called The Call yeah well the whole movie was about that it's kind right. of hard to avoid but um, and then uh, later on when he's like got a tranquilizer in him and he's barely can hold a gun or whatever and he's just like on the ground and a couple of you know doctors come in and they're just like you you can't even lift that gun and mm. he does the whole ending from the princess bride drop your sword he does the whole yeah. bit like there's like three scenes in this show that are just totally taken from other movies and just put in, <laughs> a part of me admires their moxie but at the same time come on come on you guys try <laughs> come up with your own shit make, make, make up the Maybe that's my problem with Whiskey Cavalier. I, I keep saying it's contrived. It's not just contrived. It's like directly quoting too much. A little too much. It yeah. does bug me. Um, but uh, the fun bit in this one, the bit I really like is um, Will is trying to bond with Jay. And Jay doesn't bond with anybody. He, he might quip, but he doesn't bond. Um, and uh, finally, Jay is like, he's got a... He, he, Jay is a thing where he literally bugs everyone all the time without them knowing. Like so he pl- can listen pl- in on them. plants bugs in their root cameras and stuff yeah. in their rooms. Yeah. So... Uh, there's he uh, Will knows he has a one-way bug and Jay can hear him, but Will can't hear Jay. Mm. So while he's just waiting for them to come rescue him, he's like, "Well, I guess this is a good time to bond." My parents raised me in a small town in Oregon. That's right. And so he's like, and Christmas Will, at my town home was magical. Yeah, and, and, and Will is like stirring out of his apartment looking for like the little speaker. No, no, it's not that. That's later. That's later. This is just oh, Jay hearing Will. Okay, yeah. Jay is hearing Will and he's just got to listen to him talk about himself for like two hours and he hates every second of it. So the episode ends with Will coming back to his home and like, oh, I finally get to get a, finally get to go to sleep. Mm. And then it turns out that Jay has put a, has put a bug in Will's apartment that allows him to come through hidden speakers. And now Jay is telling him all this shit about growing up watching Bollywood movies yeah, and he's yeah. keeping him up all night and it's torture. Oh, that was funny. That was really funny. That I, was a I, good I idea. I liked that last scene. I even looked up the Bollywood film he talked about, the one that opened his eyes, uh-huh. and, and it's a real film. Good. Glad. Yeah. Uh, the next one is called Goodwill Hunting. Get it? Uh, that's just the name of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least Will is a character, but of course Will yeah. is a character in Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, he so. was he was Will Hunting in that movie. That was his name. Uh, it was, it was a pun in that movie. All right, in this episode, Emma. Uh, in this episode, Emma is murdered. I hate that. It sucks. It's so no, it's they, so cheap. They, I'm they, sorry. Emma was an interesting character, and they fridge her. And the and yeah. the idea of killing Emma was to reveal the dark side of Will. Yeah, he got idea. hurt so bad, like he was betrayed again, and. And again, when they finally reveal two episodes later who killed Emma, that even that's stupid. Oh, they don't. Re- they don't. They reveal it at the end of this one. It's just not confirmed until later. Oh, okay, but um, uh, yeah, it turns out. By yeah, the way, Tina when, has been dating Standish, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like, oh, they're so different. She's so tough, and he's so dweeby. And, and, um, and he and the the whole joke is that he doesn't know how to behave around women. He doesn't yeah. have a lot of experience dating. So he try and his. His idea is when he panics, he starts making up stories. He lies. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, it turns out it was a brain surgeon. And it's for that sort of worked for him for a little while, but now it's not going to any longer. He lies to her a lot. It's a matter of finding honesty and a balance. Anyway, this you know, Will goes to the dark side, and Frankie actually really digs it at first because now he's more like her. Mm. But then he realizes, she realizes that that's not him and he's going to kill somebody. He'll never forgive himself. So he has to stop him. And mm. um, yeah, that's the episode. Uh, I didn't get the sense, though, that she had already been there. It's like, you're going to kill somebody. I can do that easily. That's me. 
Like, she never says that. It's like, I could do this. Yeah. Because I've been trained to do this sort of thing, but you will act like you're hurt. You will hurt your own soul. Yeah, I really don't get into it enough. Yeah. Uh, the next episode is College Confidential. This is the one where they all go undercover at a college, and everyone's uh, undercover as. Standish is undercover as, like, a grad student, and he's, everyone yeah, he's, else. He's just young enough that he can get away with that. And everyone else is undercover as teachers. And they're, and, and they're trying to root out a potential Korean defector. Yeah, he's uh, working on some kind of futuristic, like, rail transport technology that I think, like, North Korea wants to weaponize. Mm. Um, and so they're trying to get him to defect. Uh, this is an episode which is mostly about Standish and whether or not he'll be a good agent, whether or not he has it in him to do what really needs mm. to be done. And it turns out he does. Yay! Mm. And um, I, I, that's about it, really. I did like the scene where he's able to keep the students safe from two uh, motorcycle attackers. And it turns out the motorcycle attackers were Frankie and Will. Yeah, because it, it, by mm. having him save the dude's life, they form a closer bond. He'll trust Standish more. Mm. Makes sense. Um, it's, it's fine. It's, There's some cute college stuff. I like the bit where they start watching like the the spy footage of like the teacher who's sleeping with one of his students, and it turns into a soap opera. That that was kind of cute. That's yeah. kind of funny because it turns out to be really twisty turny. Mm. Here's the thing, and, and here's the thing about the writing on this show and sort of the scenarios they're in. Okay, you're going after like somebody with a radioactive core, and they're traveling all around the world. Is rooting out a college student something you needed multiple agencies to team up for to do? No. No. But here's like, the deal. Four FBI people could do that. Here's you don't the deal. need like, all of these agents. This doesn't seem like do you a really high-stakes operation. Even so, do you think that there are this many high-profile, action-packed, like crazy well, spy assignments going on literally every week? Of course not. No, they have to we manufacture have to, that for, for you drama. Do. Yeah. That's part of it. Like I accept that going mm. in. I accept... It's like when you're watching CSI, and it's just like, how many serial killers are there right now? <laughs> Turns out, one a week. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so like Murder, She Wrote. How many people are in this city? Aren't they all dead by now? Hasn't one half killed the other half? Um, uh, but, it, and it, it, that's okay. I don't mind that. That's a yeah. TV thing. But it's when the actual mission isn't some sort of, like, gigantic global espionage. Yeah. Where, it, that would be like on Law & Order if all of a sudden they're investigating a shoplifting. A part it's of like, me- isn't this a little below your pay grade? A part of me wants there to be some episodes where they don't have anything to do. Yeah. Like, like it's not a mission. They're just out and about. Like they're all about well, relationships anyway. Have, what about what's a, on their day off? And you they know? have a wonderful home base to do that because their home base is a bar. Okay. We need to talk about this bar for a second. Okay. So uh, last week on Swamp <laughs> Thing, we talked about the need for many shows to have a central hub yeah, where all the characters can congregate and we can sort of get our bearings and mm-hmm. get exposition and it's convenient for the production. Uh, here, and, and Swamp Thing didn't have that, which yeah. is a problem of the show. Here they have this bar, and this is like their cover is there are a bunch of people who've gone mm-hmm. in on a bar together, and they're constantly fixing it up, and it's never going to open. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like it. You don't like the bar? I like the hub in general. I kind of like the bar idea, yeah, but the problem wish it was is... just like well, it's, spy office? It, it doesn't matter, because the bar yeah, yeah. isn't open. They're never undercover as these people running the bar. It's okay, never important. Okay. It's not a thing. They might as well just go to well, the I office. What I learned, they're in the office half the time anyway. They're in the office half the time anyway, but that sort of like spy location, I mean, there's two ways you can do it now. First of all, it could be like old, like a boring office. Like it's carpeted and there's steel filing cabinets yeah. and cubicles. And that would be kind of boring looking, but you could sort of juxtapose that, that banality with the excitement in the field. Yeah, yeah. That would have been okay. Maybe not so interesting visually. The other des- uh, design thing that's the hip thing to do is everything's made of glass and everything's brightly lit. Oh, and the I floors that, yeah. are lit from below, and that's kind of boring design Just now. tiresome, yeah. Uh, I'm glad that they had at least a little bit of visual variety. Yeah. It was in a place where they could drink and socialize a little bit more organically. Yeah. It's not like, it, <laughs> to cite the show again... 
uh, if you remember in the first few seasons of Star Trek Voyager, when they needed a Go place, on. They, they needed a place. First of all, the bridge was fine. That's where they all congregate. That's but they needed someone. Designed, they needed a place they needed to hang out. To hang out when they were off duty. So they came up with a hologram like French bar, like, a, like a, World a, War II, a, yeah, a World War II era Parisian so, bar. So arbitrary. And it, stupid. it was really arbitrary and stupid. But they could play and socialize. It didn't really work so well. In like later seasons, they tried to turn it into like a bikini resort, which was even stupider. Oh, that's terrible. I yeah, don't that at all. They, oh, they, they, they got rid of the the French bar and they oh, just said, okay, worse. now it's just bikini girls all the time because this show's flagging and we need some sex appeal. Damn it! Somebody, you, please watch. Somebody watch UPN. We beg you. <laughs> And then they, then they got deep, or almost, anyway. called, almost called it Deep Space Nine, Seven of Nine. Well, and, Deep Space uh, Nine had a good one. Quark actually owned a bar. Yeah, there was actually a bar. It there. made sense in Deep Space Nine. <laughs> that one that was, was fine. really organic. So yeah. I, I actually appreciate the bar as a central hub because there's some visual variety. I kind of wish it, but here's, I kind of, I get you want the bar. Here's what you do. <laughs> the CIA headquarters or their secret headquarters is behind the bar and the bar is literally a front mm-hmm. and they hang out in the front of the bar to make the place look lived in and then they actually have customers and okay. they actually do have to run the place every once in a while or at least they have to hire people and who do like yeah, actually have a front there's actually characters like that are you can't maybe have, clueless who are actually are running the bar you can't have a front if there's no front in fact in the last episode two people actually come in wanting a drink and they finally address this oh yeah we're, we're not open right now <laughs> we're in fucking New York and we've got a bar and it looks done and wow. everyone wants to come in um, the next episode is called Two of a Kind. Here we meet the woman who raised Frankie, and it turns out, much like Frankie, she's emotionally unavailable. However, when Frankie moved out, I have a package waiting for me. Uh, when Frankie moved out, uh, her mother figure kind of opened up, realized that she needed people around her, and started a new family that's more lovey-dovey. Uh, the husband is played by uh, Sung Kang. Yeah, from the Fast and Furious franchise. Mm. Always nice to see him. I'm a big fan. Um, and uh, turns out he is involved in possibly financing without his knowledge an illegal, I think it's a heroin smuggling operation. So, some kind of illegal rigmarole. And, and uh, so they want to believe that he's just this natural patsy, and we're testing whether Frankie has like sort of an empathy gene, but it turns out he's actually the mastermind behind the whole thing, and Yada, yada, yada. Everyone learns a valuable lesson about closeness. You see, you see why I'm not so hyped on this show? Yeah, and I'm, and yeah. you see why I lost interest after yeah, a bit, because yeah, it's, 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 it gets worse. But And then the last episode is, uh, what's it called, uh, Checkmate? It's called, yeah, Check. We already did that pun in an episode title. but well, uh, why, why, why ruin a pun by only using it once? Hmm. Uh, and this one, the main bad guy is back, and it turns this, out Tina was the one who o- killed... Not Offerman, Allerman. Allerman. Allerman yeah. is back. Tina, uh, turns out, was She's we know... She's she killed a, Emma. Yeah, she's a turncoat. She, it turns out she was a bad guy all along. She's a double agent. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, yeah, she, she ends up putting on the bad guy's uniform, the Smirsh uniform, and does bad things. Yep. Uh, and they what they do <sighs> is they put uh, like a deadly series of nanites or something inside Ray, and Ray mm. will die unless they pull a job for the bad guys in order to finance the trust. Uh, they do the job, but haha, they get the better of them. Standish kills his ex-girlfriend and is now very flip about it, which is kind of mm. gross. Well, like he kills her and then he makes a joke, and I'm like, I feel like you're not there yet, man. Standish is not, but you know that they have to keep the tone of the show light, so you can't yeah. have a murder without a quip. And, I still uh, feel like you could have done be like, I have mixed feelings about this. Like that mm. would have been fine. Like yeah. that would have been natural, you know, mm. like. Um, and, uh, yeah, and at the end, uh, you know, Will and, uh, Frankie are possibly gonna make out, and then there's a phone call, and then we see who's on the other end of that phone call. I'm glad they didn't. Yeah. That they didn't kiss. Not yet. Um. Like, don't, first of all, I understand that they're, they constructed this show to have that romantic tension. 
a lot of, a lot of shows are now they yeah. they put like these two really attractive people together to make sure that they're going to be attracted to each other. Yeah. Um but I'm glad they didn't go so whole hog that they just broke the tension right away in the I first agree. season. No, I agree. Um, and uh, yeah, and it turns out the phone call was Standish, who was calling Will to tell him, I didn't know how to tell you, I didn't know when to tell mm. you, but Tina's the one who killed Emma, and then Allerman... St- stabs him in the chest. Yeah, yeah, stabs Standish in the chest for killing Tina because she, Tina was Allerman's girlfriend. Mm. Uh, see, feelings, they mm. matter. And that's the ending. <laughs> that's a revenge killing. Yeah, Come on. That's still feelings. You don't, you, can, you don't commit revenge if you don't care. Yeah, revenge killing isn't the thing. It's a thing in movies. If you're an it's evil a thing on man, TV. if you're an evil person who How kills was, people yeah. with, and doesn't feel anything about yeah. it, Revenge killing, I buy. Okay, I, I I know there are you know real life instances of blood revenge. I'm sure it's happened. Oh, it happens all the time. It's yeah. like you know people like oh you slept with my so and so. Boom, it happens. Yeah, movies make it seem like a, like a twice daily occurrence. I realize that. But my point is, it's not it's not something that is outside the realm of possibility. And I, the I, whole, I understand it's yeah, it's we go to it so often in films and TV that it's putting in humans' brains that it's kind of okay. It's I don't when the, like it's when there's a blood, l- blood revenge is the dumbest motivating factor in a script. If you're writing a script, don't ever, ever, ever use revenge as your motivating factor. It's all we've gone to in the last decade. There, There's three words mm-hmm. that you, I think, make revenge plot work. Crime of passion. A crime mm-hmm. of passion is sudden. Yeah. Crime of passion the is... decision in the moment. Yeah, you, you catch your spouse in bed with another person and you kill them. And That's have, absolutely yeah, horrible, but it's sudden. Hand, it's not something that you're like, I'm going to spend five years concocting the perfect plan. Mm-hmm. Then you lost me. I buy the other thing. Mm-hmm. It's horrible and it's tragic and it should never happen, but I believe that. Five-year plans, like some of these movies that we have, or like really elaborate schemes to get revenge on yeah. people. No. That's the Count of Monte Cristo was a big deal because it was weird. Not because it's a thing people do. Yeah. The whole the whole revenge thing. Like, how, how many Star Trek films... Like, the last... The final four Star Trek films we've had were about revenge stories. Ah. <sighs> A lot of them. Because yeah. we had Shinzon in Nemesis, then we had yeah. Nero in 2009, Yep, and then we had uh, Khan again in Into Darkness, and then mm. we had Idris Elba's character. Yeah. And we've had... Uh, uh, they uh, all be, just wanted revenge. I'd be, to be fair, the original Khan revenge scheme I buy, Khan got screwed over in Wrath of God. Yeah, and it also hooked up to a previous story, so yeah. that, that kind of made sense. That one made sense. He's an egomaniac, I buy it. None of those other Star Trek films are about revenge. No. Mm, kind of first contact. Well, kind of undiscovered country. They play that against Kirk. Mm. Good point, actually. Yeah. I like that. Um, but, but that in you're that, right. In Star that Trek one, is pretty good, isn't and, it? And, and, I'm yeah, so I'm, glad we did this. I'm, yeah, I'm so glad we could. <laughs> Um, Use Whiskey Cavalier to talk about how great much we love Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Uh, did, have I mentioned Star Trek before? Shut up. Do I mention it four times every I'm gonna, episode? I'm going to come up with a little bell, and I'm going to use it every time you reference no, Star Trek. I, I think we just need a Trek jar. <laughs> Put a quarter in every time we make a Star Trek. I'm going to do that, but you need to bring a roll of quarters, because this is ridiculous. I'm, I'm just going to bring a $100 bell. If, if Whiskey Cavalier had continued... <laughs> Mm. Um, they would have had to change the paradigm, I think. I think you need, like, new members of the team. You need yeah. to split the team up. Will and Frankie had spent, like, an entire season back at their respective forces, but occasionally well, teaming up, like, on the side or whatever. You need to divide these people to make them really interesting. Yeah, they, because they as much were... as I like the fantasy of a close-knit family unit, it's not dramatic. It's not dramatic. They get along too well. And whenever they introduced a new character who you thought was going to change the dynamic a little bit, they killed them. Yeah. Or, or made them into a turncoat. Yeah. 
so like, like Tina and Emma, like those were Tina, the two, yeah, op- there were two like, opportunities. Okay, here's these two new characters, and now we have these other new uh, angles to bring to this team dynamic. And sometimes they're in, and sometimes they're out. But they killed one, and then they killed the other one. Well, so there was another one where uh, Standish was talking about how everyone here seems to have an arch nemesis. I don't have an arch nemesis, mm-hmm. and then it turns out without intending to, Standish stole someone else's workstation because he was on vacation, and yeah. he's just like, Todd, I have a nemesis. I- but then two episodes later, Todd turns out to be a bad guy. Yeah, Todd turns out to be working for the villains, and they have to kill Todd. That's not interesting. It's so you, you need to like keep, keep adding keep elements gr- in order to gr- make it interesting. Growing it and let the dynamic kind of mutate. You and can't let it something. feel safe. Now I realize killing um, Standish might make it feel safe, <laughs> but I guarantee you Standish is not dead. If the no, show had continued, Standish would not be dead. They might have pretended he was dead for a little while. And then he would have come back as a bad guy for a little bit, just like yeah. in Fast and Furious. Or he would uh, like come back as a bad guy, but he was actually undercover or something mm, like that. I just don't buy he, it. He would have been brainwashed. Whatever he would have done. Some, Whatever you Some done. contrived thing. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. I, I don't like this show. Okay. It's, it's not for me. I think it's just not on my wavelength, okay. but I'm not going to, f- I, and I can fault the writing because I think the spy stories are not really well thought out, but I think the characters are in the way that the writers intended. And clearly it was on your wavelength. And I think it's going to be on a lot of people's wavelength. Mm-hmm. This was so, not, a, this was not an unpopular show, which is really expensive and didn't get yeah, the ratings. So, uh, I've, and I've already seen burn notice, which I think is so, something that was trying to do something kind of similar, but did it better. Sure. Uh, so this, this is not a show for me. Yeah. But when it, so when it comes to saying whether or not this was canceled too soon, I have to say, yes, I just wouldn't watch it. That's fair. I, I think That's this totally I think this would have been made for a nice uh, popular show which would have dealt with, uh, you know, quote, exciting spy stories because mm-hmm. they can just write those on a dime and some interesting pop psychology about how emotions play into these old fashioned conceits. Yeah, I don't like that. But I can see how this could have been a juggernaut. I can see watching this show every week as just sort of like a little dessert. Like, this is me just having, like, a cup of yogurt after a long week. Yeah. And enjoying a nice, refreshing, mostly safe episode of Whiskey Cavalier. Yeah. Where everyone's charming and likable. There's a little action, a little sexual tension, some pop culture references. But mostly my fantasy of getting to be a cool man of action flying around the world. Who can also cry when it needs to. Yeah, who doesn't have to pretend to be someone I'm not. And actually, like, that can be seen as a good thing. Mm. And I also have friends. Uh-huh. It's James Bond, but he has friends. Who wouldn't want that? That sounds great. So, like, on that level, I appreciate it. I think the show started strong mm-hmm. and got weaker over time. But I don't think it got so bad that it <coughs> couldn't improve in season two if you just injected some actual conflict between the characters. Yeah, not or- not lighthearted, cheesy sitcom mm-hmm. conflict. Like, seriously, split them up. Or... The, the lighthearted sitcom conflict could have been fine if you had added more people and changed the dynamic. Like, how many people are on something like Parks and Recreation? Oh, I like, know. It's going to be like seven or eight main characters on that show, Yeah, right? probably around there, yeah. And I think that's, I think like seven or eight, like between seven and twelve uh, of we just need re- a bigger recurring ensemble. characters, like a bigger ensemble. ensemble. Yeah. And okay. Not all main characters, like you have maybe your core th- four or five. Mm-hmm. Which is what we had, but uh, you know, a lot of other ancillary characters who are just important members of the team were just not with them all the time. Yeah, I buy that. Um, so and, yeah, and make sure that yeah, they they sort of have a lot uh, more varied types of interactions with a lot more varied types of people. So I'm with you. I think the show was canceled too soon, but unlike you, I would watch it. 
Yeah, yeah. I, this is not my show, yeah. but just because it's not mine doesn't make it a bad show. That's fair, and I respect you for mm. for coming to terms with that. I mm-hmm. really like that a lot. Um, so that is it for this episode of Cancel Too Soon. Next week we will be back with a show that was selected by our Patreon subscribers. Every month our patrons get to pick one episode for us to review, and this month we wanted to give you for suddenly last season a whole bunch of sci-fi shows that didn't last, and there were a ton of different options, and the one that you picked mm-hmm. was. Deadly Class. Deadly Class. Which is based off of a comic book series about, I think it's a high school or a college for assassins. And it's where you learn to be an assassin. Mm. And it sounds fun. And it's also a sci-fi original. And the last time we did a sci-fi original series, it was Blood Drive, which is one of our favorite things. Blood Drive is so freaking good. So if it's even half as good as Blood Drive, I'll be happy. It's a weird and crazy show. Like, one of the craziest shows ever. Oh, yeah. So damn good. good golly, they really committed to that show. If you still haven't seen Blood Drive, it's it's so much fun. You're going to have a real blast watching Blood Drive. I wasn't really on board for the first two episodes of Blood Drive, but after a while, it kind of, like, gets under your skin and starts bleeding bleeding you out. Yeah. By the time they got to, like, the sex virus, I'm like, this is awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't think we're going to get a sex virus in Deadly Class, but I am curious to see how it goes. And I love stories about fictional schools that teach you weird stuff. (laughs) Like Hogwarts stuff. I'm watching uh, this one anime show called Welcome to Demon School, Arumakun, and it is so damn funny. Like, I'm just totally into it. I love it. Mm. Like, Harry Potter is the er example, but I love all that stuff. So let's just do it. Let's Perfect. do it. <laughs> Deadly class. I'm super stoked. So that's going to be on the next episode of Cancel Too Soon. Uh, stick around for Critically Acclaimed. We have uh, new movie reviews, letters episodes uh, over on the Patreon. We've got uh, two episodes coming this week of the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie uh, and a whole bunch of other cool stuff besides. And uh, yeah, we're on Twitter. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, we are at Critic Acclaim. It's patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network and um yeah thank you everybody for listening for subscribing leave us a review if you haven't already that would really help us out and uh that's a wrap we'll see you next season 